Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, as always, Tyler Crawley. And, man, talk about two just completely opposite shows. So yesterday, I was struggling to find something to talk about. It was the deadest Monday I mean, the deadest day period of news I've seen in so long. And now today, it's it's the exact opposite. A cornucopia of news on Tuesday housing, economics. Um, I think that's about it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we're looking at the labor market. We're looking at housing data. And we're looking at consumer confidence. And, I mean, there's probably more we could have gotten into. I saw that there was a uh, new rent report from Zumper that showed that rents are continuing to rise. Though, like housing, they are slowing. So we could have talked about that, but we just, we are not going to have the time. So let's get into it. Home price appreciation, the gold standard when it comes to home prices. That would be the Case-Shiller Index. We got the June data yesterday. And that is one of the things that sucks about Case-Shiller. I mean, they're good because they compile the data It takes a little while to do so. So there's a three-month lag. So here we are about to enter September, and we're still talking about the month of June. (laughs) And we know that there has been quite the drastic change from the beginning of summer until the end of summer with regards to housing. But we can learn a lot, and that is what was happening at the beginning of the summer. We knew that housing was starting to slow down, and it looks like it was actually slowing maybe faster than even we knew. So once again, this is the Case-Shiller Home Price Index or its official title, the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller U.S. National Home Price NSA Index shows that home prices in the month of June were up 18% year over year. That was down almost two full percentage points. 19.9% in May. So that is a significant slowdown. This is the third month in a row that prices have slowed from the prior month. We saw a high of 20.6% in March. It then fell to 20.4% in May. It is now then fell to 19.9% in, or I'm sorry, 19.9% in May. And now it's fallen to 18% in May. June. So kind of a a big move from May until June. Uh, Month over month, home prices are still on the up and up. They were up 0.6%, but that is down significantly from the 1.5% gain reported in May. So we are seeing a slowdown once again, for the third month in a row, and like I mentioned, slowing faster than even economists thought. The housing market, the 20-city composite, actually fell more than economists were expecting. They thought it was going to fall to 19.5, and it actually fell to 18.6. So not only are things slowing fast, they are slowing faster than even economists thought. Now, As always, all housing is local. (laughs) And when you're talking about some areas, sure, things are maybe not as hot as they were, but they're still pretty hot. For example, Tampa, Florida, number one metro area, year over year, still looking at 35% 
home price appreciation. <laughs> I mean, so I mean that's down. That is down from the 36.1% that was reported in May. <laughs> but I don't think anyone would argue that 35% year-over-year price growth is in any way, shape, or form slow or a cooling market. Uh, Miami, also, of course, in Florida, was up 33% year-over-year. Year. And Dallas, the only top three city not in Florida, was up 28.2%. Now, Case Shiller was not the only report that was showing a slowdown in housing. As usual, we also got the FHFA Home Price Index that, well, they actually have housing slowing even faster. They had home prices up 16.2% in June compared with the 18.3% that we saw in May. So they have not only home price appreciation at a lower year-over-year rate, but the drop was actually bigger, 2.1% versus, what was that, 1.9%. I did the math in my head very quickly there. That was impressive. So a not only a bigger drop percentage-wise, but also a lower number year-over-year, year. and even so, with month over month. So once again, Kay Schiller had 0.6% growth month over month. FHFA, 0.1%. I mean, that's as close to zero growth as you can get, which is significantly lower than the 1.4% gain that was reported in May. Now, we mentioned earlier from the Kay Schiller Index, Florida is the state with the two largest or biggest increases with regards to metro area. So not surprisingly, Florida, according to the FHFA, is the hottest state really by far. They're almost at 30% year over year statewide at 29.8%. Arizona was number two, up 25.5%. And North Carolina, baby, number three, 25.2%. And the metro area with the biggest growth year over year was Sarasota, 36.4%. <laughs> so, man, I mean, Florida is just a place unto itself. Craig Lazara, managing director at SMP Dow Jones Industrial, said in a statement, quote, we've noted previously that mortgage financing has become more expensive as the Federal Reserve ratchets up interest rates, a process that continued as our June data were gathered. At the macroeconomic environment continues to be challenging, home prices may well continue to decelerate. And I think that that's a given, right? I mean, does anyone think that home prices are going to start turning around again? Now, it is kind of funny because... A lot of the crash bros, and I've pointed this out many a times here on the show, have been pointing to rising inventory levels as a sign that we're about to see this big giant slowdown in housing. And I've been saying it almost from the beginning of the data showing that turn, thanks to, of course, Alto's research being on top of it. But once it looked like we're seeing a slowdown in, in inventory growth, and now, I mean, we didn't get any data this week, but last week, of course, it was 0% week over week. 
it's really not so much inventory. And that's what's kind of unfortunate about a lot of these crash bros who will be correct in that housing is slowing, but they're going to be incorrect as to why that is. It's not going to be a giant increase in inventory. I was looking at some more data this morning and I can't remember where it was from, but they were pointing out that a lot of people who are sitting on an incredibly low interest rate and a ton of equity as well, they're saying, hey, listen, if I can't get this price, I'm not moving. Like, I, I don't have to move. I have a, I have a incredibly low mortgage rate. I have incredibly low mortgage payment. And I'm not going to sell if I don't have to. It's the exact opposite of 2008. There's no fire sales. Nobody has to get out of a position. And a lot of people say, well, Tyler, I heard that some of these big Wall Street firms want to get out. Okay, first of all, Wall Street firms are not selling houses individually. Wall Street doesn't sell anything individually, okay? They package up those homes and sell them to other Wall Street firms. <laughs> That's what they know. What do you think? Like Goldman Sachs is putting the homes they own like for sale on the market, like getting a realtor. <laughs> like they have everything packaged up. They're selling homes. They're selling them to other people to also rent. They're not putting them back on the market in order to... I love that I've heard people make that argument. They literally think that like Wall Street is like selling homes like on the market, like individual, like here's one, we're going to sell one here. Like, no, do they package those homes and sell them to other people? <laughs> okay. That's how they get rid of a lot. I'm talking about people that are big, big time buyers. All right. They're packaging those homes and selling them to other wall street firms. <laughs> and so we're not going to see this big inventory Armageddon. We're already seeing evidence that people aren't going to list. So inventory levels are already starting to stagnate, if not fall. What we are seeing is demand drop like a stone. Demand is dropping off because interest rates, mortgage rates are rising. You got you got elevated home prices and elevated mortgage rates. And it, it's pricing people out of the market. They can't afford to buy. I mean, that's the reality. Now, there was a great piece by Connor Sen that we don't have time to get into where he was saying that that's, you know, that hopefully rising wages will be able to counter that. There was a note out from Goldman Sachs that we could see 0% home price growth over the next year. From two, In 2003, home prices will increase by 0%. And yeah, I mean, I think that's possible. I mean, the fact that we saw two years in a row of what, 20 to 30% home price growth. Yeah, I mean, you're either going to see a pullback or see zero growth. And so that could happen. So if wages rise, home prices hold, if not maybe fall a little bit, even with elevated mortgage rates, that could help more people buy a home, become a homeowner. And I think that's what what sort of everyone is projecting is going to be happening. But it's funny that all these people who are like, inventory Armageddon, that's actually not what's causing this this imbalance. It's actually the complete drop-off of demand. I mean, talk to anyone in the real estate industry. They'll tell you that. And it's it's a big drop-off in demand, less so with inventory. Some markets, they're seeing big jumps in inventory. But in a lot of places, people are saying, hey, listen, I don't have to sell. I can stay in this house with this low rate, low monthly payment, and be fine. I'd like to move, but if you're not giving me the price I want, I don't have to. I do not have to do that. Now, home prices are continuing to move up. Other prices, like gasoline, for example, if you've noticed, 
are falling. And a lot of people have said that's why this month consumer confidence jumped. And it has been a while since I've been able to say that five I should say four months, because in the last five months, this is the first time that I've been able to say consumer confidence jumped for the month. This is, of course, data from the conference board. Consumer confidence rose almost eight full points to an index of 103.2. That is up from 95.3 in July and larger than the 97.5 increase projected by economists. So not only did it rise, it rose more than expected. Now, of course, consumer confidence is still down about 10 points from where we were last year when the index was at 113.8. If you remember at that time, you know, we were really kind of full steam coming out of COVID and it was everyone was wondering, was the roaring 20s back again? And inflation was up. But everyone was like, ah, it's transitory. It's not going to last. So very different economy one year ago. Now, consumers are feeling better, but I wouldn't say great. If you look at the breakdown of these numbers, both present and expect present economy, you know, thoughts and then the future economy, they're both up, but we're still down from the post pandemic high that we saw in July of 2021 of 129. So the present situation index, which of course looks at people's assessment of current economic conditions, both business and labor market, improved to 145.4 from 139.7 last month. And then expectations is of course a sort of short-term outlook for income, business, and labor market conditions. That increased to 75 five from 65 last month. So still a lot of pessimism about the future economy. So people are still feeling pretty good about now. That's why you've seen retail numbers still remain relatively positive. Maybe not so much when you adjust for inflation, but you know, I should say future Uh, When looking at the future economy, it's still very, very pessimistic. Lynn Franco, Senior Director of Economic Indicators at the Conference Board, said a positive turn was good news, but we are not out of the woods yet as people are still concerned about inflation. Saying, quote, the present situation index recorded a gain for the first time since March, and the expectations index likewise improved from July's nine-year low, but it's still under 80. Concerns about inflation continued their retreat, but remained elevated. Meanwhile, purchasing intentions increased after a July pullback and vacation intentions reached an eight-month high. Now, looking ahead, August's improvement in confidence may help support spending, but inflation and additional rate hikes still pose risks to economic growth in the short term. And it should be I should remind you that the consumer confidence report from the conference board is not the only report that is showing consumer confidence on the rise. Earlier in August, we saw a three-month high for the University of Michigan's preliminary sentiment index. So consumers are feeling better. I mean, inflation is still elevated, but we are seeing some easing month over month. And a lot of the expectations that we've seen for this month for the latest CPI report is that we could see 
the big goose egg. Zero percent once again, month over month. That'd be two months in a row of zero percent. But that still puts that would still put inflation, I mean, at forty year highs. I mean, we need to see some some pullback on prices. But the fact that we are seeing a somewhat slowdown, people are gonna feel good about that. I mean, even if it isn't dropping prices, the fact that they're not increasing by the rate at they at the rate that they were is still going to feel great. I mean, that's just that's one of the unfortunate things about kind of the human mind is that it's amazing at coping and adapting, and you know that's how we're able to function in society. But that's one of the things that Jerome Powell has talked about and why it's so important for the Fed to make sure that it does do something to fight inflation and quickly because inflation can get entrenched. It happened in the seventies where people just go, Oh yeah, it's, it's here. It's here to stay. It's never going away. And then you get the, you get the dreaded price wage spiral, which is just awful. And the only way to fight it is to then put the economy into a recession. <laughs> not that that might not already happen at this point, but because people have been so used to high gas prices and high prices and just price jumps week over week, month over month, that when things slow and gas prices drop, it has a real strong impact on people's psyche. And they're like, oh man, things are great. And that's why you see consumer confidence jump up. Even if you say, oh, well, compared to a year ago, things are much worse. People are thinking, well, compared to two months ago or three months ago, they're a lot better. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. You don't remember a year ago. You remember last week or two months ago or whatever. The, you know, the, the recent past is something that you remember much easier than what was happening a year, two years before the pandemic. Yeah, people have definitely forgotten what life was like before the pandemic. It was like masks, right? Everyone was wearing masks. And I thought, we're never going to go back to a time when people aren't wearing masks. And then we just easily took the masks off. And I thought, man, I can't believe how easily we wore masks. <laughs> we, we adapt. That's what we do. It's the beauty of the human mind. It's great. It's a, I would say it's, it's a gift and a curse all at the same time. And then before we wrap things up, we also got, because it is jobs week, remember? We got the ADP report is coming back this week. We got the non-farm payroll at the end of the week. And here it is on, well, we got it on Tuesday, uh, the JOLTS report, the job openings and labor turnover survey. And surprise, surprise, another good report. I would say these are all good reports. I mean, we want to see housing slowing. We want to see consumer confidence up and we want to see job openings. I mean, that's, that's a sign of a strong labor market. And they thought it was going to fall. I mean, the, the economists thought it was going to fall 10%. That is job openings. It was going to go from about 11 a little bit under 11.1 million to about 10.5 million. And instead it jumped up to almost a little bit over 11.2 million. (laughs) So so yeah, I mean, they were way off on this one. The number of job openings at the end of July was little changed at 11.2 million on the last business day of July, a increase over the 11 million that we saw in June and much higher then economists thought it was going to fall to 10.45 million job openings are actually a higher are a higher 
<laughs> See, we're talking about job openings. I'm talking about a hire. We're hiring people. Um, they were actually higher by 300,000 than the same time last year. I mean, there's like this is like the only economic report where things are. Well, I mean, I know you could look at housing, but I think even last year at this time, the year over year appreciation may have been higher. But like just price wise, yeah, I mean, home, homes are higher. But yeah, we're, job openings are higher than they were one year ago. Job openings increased thanks to transportation, warehousing, and utilities that saw an 81,000 jump along with arts and entertainment and recreation. We're up 53,000 and the federal government saw 45,000 new openings. And what's interesting is, I know there's been one of these big debates online about what is it called quiet quitting, where people aren't quitting, but they're just kind of going in and doing their job half-assed, which is like something that a lot of people did, you know, for throughout work history. <laughs> What's the word I'm looking? Through the history of the labor market, there have been people that show up at their jobs and uh, don't put in a hundred and 10%, but now all of a sudden we have a name for it. It's called quiet quitting. And one of the big conversations that we've been having the last couple of months, if not all year, was this great resignation where people were actually quitting their job, not quiet quitting. They were straight up quitting and it has not gone away. I mean, there are still 4.2 million people quitting their job. I mean, that's that's where we are. Healthcare, social assistance, 73,000 fewer quits. However, we saw a increase in transportation, warehousing and utilities with 30, 39,000 more quits. And they said that, you know, overall there was no change. So we saw some jump up, some fall down, but overall 4.2 million. <laughs> the number has not fallen. So the great resignation, which is now getting less attention thanks to the new term of quiet quitting where people are staying on the job. And I think a lot of that probably was, you know, there was a lot of articles that I'd seen recently about people quitting and then realizing the new job wasn't any better. The grass was not greener as people is usually the case, right? You know, grass is not always greener on the other side. And so people were like, well, why don't I just stay here? And because there's so many job openings and there's no one to hire that they won't be able to fire me. And so people are going, the, I'll just kind of do my job and still collect my paycheck. Uh, layoffs, of course, were a little changed at 1.4 million with almost no change, at least noticeable change in any industry. Mark Zandi, the chief economist at Moody's Analytics, told the New York Times that, quote, the job market remains surprisingly resilient to the Fed's best efforts to cool it off. The Fed desperately wants job growth to slow and unemployment to stabilize, even rise a bit to quell wage and price pressures. I mean, it just it's it's so bizarre. It really is. I mean, everything else we are seeing cooling. Housing we are seeing cooling. We're even seeing some cooling in inflation, but not the job market. And I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. End of this week, we got the big monthly jobs report. And we'll see if maybe we are seeing some loosening in the labor market. But I mean, 11, 11.2 million job openings. It's going to have, it's going to be hard to have a, uh, a loose labor market when you have 11.2 million job openings. It's just, it's, 
it's going to be hard. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Wednesday. You know, I wanted to get to that Connor Sen piece, so maybe we'll get to it tomorrow because we don't have as much going on today. I think we got the ADP report out. I, th- I think I'm correct on that one. Uh, obviously, we got mortgage demand coming out at 7 a.m. So we do have some things to get into, but I do want to talk about that Connor Sen article from Bloomberg. So maybe we'll get in that tomorrow. We'll see. I don't think I've ever done a tease on the podcast. There we go. My first tease here on markets and mortgages. All right, you guys enjoy your Wednesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait 